0: all right everybody welcome to sandwiches i'm your host sam obviously um i'm not entirely sure what this podcast is going to be yet i just thought it would be really fun to do one because not that i'm not that i think i have opinions that should be listened to but i think i have opinions that should be listened to um and for those who are interested in hearing them welcome to the podcast um so the people that I've told that I was going to make this podcast, a couple of the questions have been, well, why is it called sandwiches? And there's a couple of different reasons for that. But the main one is that, you know, in Georgia, you know, the South, people say, people don't say, I'm going to go get me a sandwich. No, they say, I'm going to go get me a sandwich. And specifically, I remember my grandpa would say, because uh, he used to eat, banana sandwiches but he wouldn't call them that he would call them nanner sandwiches which is (laughs) which is which is good which is funny but yeah so um i was thinking that the central theme of the podcast could be like a sandwich a sandwich if you if you will but um i don't really i don't quite know like what i'm going to define the topics to because um there are a couple different things that i want to talk about because i thought about making the podcast just be like movies and stuff like that, but I realized very quickly that I don't watch a lot of movies. I know I like to think I do, but I don't really like, I don't watch a lot of new movies. I don't experiment with movies. I know what I like, and um, I don't tend to drift very far from that. And I'm sorry, by the way, if you can hear my chair creaking. There's not much I can do about it. Um, but uh, yeah, so I think for this episode, I'm definitely going to talk about movies because I recently watched a really excellent excellent movie, which I will be talking about in full detail. I'm going to try not to spoil anything, but I'm sure you've seen this movie before. But anyway, we'll get to that later. Um, Another question that I've, uh, in my imaginary scenarios, I've imagined people asking me when I get onto like the Tonight Show, they're going to be like, why'd you start making the podcast in the first place? Who is it made for? And the answer to that is everyone and no one. Because I'm not, this podcast is not made for a specific audience in mind. This is literally, it's for everyone to enjoy if they want to, Um, you know, so, and also at the same time, if no one enjoys it, I get fulfillment out of it because I like voicing my thoughts on things and stuff like that. So even if no one listens to it, you know, I enjoy making it and I say that and I'm literally only two minutes and 50 seconds into the first episode, but I already enjoy it. Um, let's see, so, yeah, so everyone and no one, honestly, that's the answer. But, uh, right, so, another one of my dilemmas about the podcast was, uh, because I've been talking about doing it for such a long time, I've been telling my family, I'm like, listen, I'm going to do a podcast, it's going to be called Sandwiches, and I think it's going to be a winner, <laughs> and, um, like... But my biggest hesitation with it, and why it's why I've waited so long, is because literally, like uh, I, I didn't want to make a first episode, because the first episode, and I'm gonna I'm mainly talking about TV series, like a TV series here, the first episode is make or break, in my opinion. If I watch a TV show, and it the first episode doesn't hook me, I'm not gonna watch anymore. I mean, unless unless I've heard like raging reviews about this tv show and i've been recommended a thousand times if that first episode doesn't catch me it's gonna it's gonna be a it's gonna be a long ride for the rest of the show to catch me but at the same time because if you go to like a concert or something like that um you know the band you don't want to play your best song first because then people will get bored for the rest of the concert so most most of the time in music concerts they play like they're like intro song like every band's got an intro song that they play usually it's the first song on the album but sometimes the first song on the album is the best song so you don't want to start with that because you never want to do your best thing first because then you set the bar too high and you'll never be able to, to replenish it i'm not saying this podcast is going to be some great mystical thing but i'm just saying like i wanted to make a first episode where you can tell i put effort into it but also i didn't like set the bar too high for the rest of the podcast because that's not what i want to do either but i think i've got a nice little list of topics here that i think will be good but um but yeah but that it's very interesting to me the way the first episode works because you you if if you spill everything out the first episode the rest of the podcast is just not going to go well so it's pretty standard that in podcasts the first episode is always the worst so with that in mind i apologize in advance for all those listening if you're out there, but um, yeah, so so in my life, I recently started um, working at the library at my college, and I'm staying here over the summer, and I'm working, you know, making, getting that bread, you know what I mean, but uh, so it, it's brought up an interesting thing in my head is like, how is a library, and this library, keep in mind, is just filled with books. I mean, we've got every copy of Reader's Digest from the 1912 all the way up to you know, the most recent ones. So my question, and you feel free to, like, I don't know, somehow reach out to me and, and, and comment on your own if you want, but uh, one of my questions is, uh, how is a library supposed to keep up with like, a paperless society? Because it's clear to me that as we move along and we progress, everything is becoming more digital. I mean, which is not a bad thing per se, because you have like your cloud, uh, Google Drive, um, your OneDrive, all these things that are, like you're you're working and you're just uploading it, and then you can access it from any computer ever, which is excellent. I mean, that's a great that's a great innovation. But see, why do we have in libraries like, I mean, we've got we've got journals that are just so outdated and stuff like that. And I'm not saying we should throw them away per se, but my question is like, how long do we have before libraries become obsolete in our society, like the physical library building? Because I can understand, I can see how some libraries are moving to to where they're like online libraries, which is interesting to me because like, I mean, you have, you have websites, like specifically in Georgia, you have websites like JSTOR um, Galileo, you know, things like that. So like, I, my guess is like, it's kind of the same thing that's going on with movie theaters. I mean, you don't, I mean, movie theaters are becoming obsolete because we have streaming platforms and things like that, which is, it's, it's saddening, but also at the same time, it's more bittersweet to me because I mean, you have rising prices at movie theaters, but that's simply because they're becoming more obsolete Maybe I'm not an economics expert, but uh, but with the library, see it's just you have all this paper, all these books, and I you know I was going through, and I was shelving and removing some of the ones that have not been checked out, and like a lot of them are covered in dust, and so that tells me that we're not we're I don't think we're not reading, I think we're just not reading paper books, and that is interesting because. Suddenly, now, libraries either need to adapt or they're going to become obsolete. And like, I mean, you can make the argument that it's like research. I mean, if someone were to write a paper on how the Reader's Digest magazine has evolved from the 1912s all the way up to now, that's one thing. But like, realistically, I mean, how many people are going to be writing papers like that, especially as we change and we develop more paperless society? Who cares? And that that sounds like I'm um, invalidating like, uh, you know, like research. But that's not what I'm. I'm just speaking like realistically here. But um, I don't think like some people associate with some people associate like diminishing libraries as uh, like society itself is becoming more stupid. And I I beg to differ on that because I mean we have access to more information than we've ever had before, and that is thanks to the Internet. Granted, the Internet has its problems. Don't get me wrong on that. But in terms of information, we can just, I mean, we have infinite bits of information at our fingertips. I mean, pretty much, with exceptions, anything we want to know, it's within our grasp to know it. But the problem, see, where, where the issue comes is that because it's so easy, it's just ingrained and so we don't really like seek it out. It's not really a, like a priority anymore. Whereas whenever libraries were the only option, you know, I mean, it was, you had such people that knew how to research properly and knew like trusting sources and things like that. And I think that's where the difference comes from mainly but this it's a it's a um it's not a very particularly riveting topic but it is interesting to me the way the way we're changing because um you know you some people would say that we're 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 in- inching closer to fahrenheit 451 which is a bit of a stretch to me because i don't think anyone is discouraging us from informing ourselves in fact i think it's quite the opposite um I mean, at least they're not saying they're discouraging us. I mean, but I think it is, you know, the downside to all of this is that information is so convoluted. You have to find like you have to search harder to find real, authentic sources of information, which I think that's where the where the uh, where the drawback comes from. So, yeah, like I said, though, guys, if you have any like thoughts on this matter or anything like that, feel free to, you know, somehow, somehow reach out. I don't know how, like, I guess, like, if you have my number, just text me or Facebook, I don't know, Instagram, anything, Snapchat, whatever, whatever you got, I'm sure I got it too. Just, you know, just find me. Uh, I have a Facebook page, Sam so you Media. If you don't like it, like it now. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, so yeah, let, let me know your thoughts on this. Libraries in a paperless society and how that what that means so uh, you know now this reminds me because i mentioned movie theaters earlier oh boy the movie that i watched was 2010 the year we made contact and i don't know how many of you guys are aware of this but that is the sequel to 2001 a space odyssey i didn't even know it existed until re- very very recently so, and, it, and it's interesting though, because 2010 had Stanley Kubrick's full cooperation. Granted, he didn't want anything to do with it. He didn't want to touch it. But I mean, the director and the writer and the producer or whatever got his permission and he approved it. And my God, this movie is just amazing. Okay, so I don't know how many, I'm sure most of you have seen or at least heard of 2001 a Space Odyssey, because it is, um, it came out in either 68 or 69, and it is quite the watch, because at first, it's very, it's very, uh, it's very boring, I mean, I'll, I'll just be real, I, granted, it's one of my favorite movies, top ten, but it is very, very boring, um, I mean you have you have the apes for the first 20 minutes and then you have flying through space for the next 20 minutes. So I mean you don't really get much like in terms of plot until about halfway through. But the interesting thing about it to me and I've seen there's not much more that I can say on it, you know, that people haven't already said or or commented on. But see, and I and I've watched a lot of people try to dissect this movie. And the common denominator is that 2001 is mainly focused on being a piece of art rather than specifically focusing on like cinema, like telling a story in a cinema, in a cinematic way. Because uh, I mean, if you look at like I forgot the name of the channel that on YouTube that commented on this, but it was very eye-opening to me personally because he was saying that like. Uh, you have, you have these pretty hollow characters. I mean, they don't get, they don't have much of an arc. Uh, they're pretty static, and uh, you know the story itself is, it's you know I mean it's kind of dry. I mean all the characters are very very dry. Uh, the whole thing in terms of plot and story feels very hollow, but it's only when you look at like what it all means like, what the point of it all is. And that's where it gets interesting because it has themes of, uh, of like, human evolution and, like, our place in this universe and why we're here, you know, all the, all these things that are covered through these hollow characters and, and relatively hollow plot. But, see, the difference here is is that it is... I think it's supposed to be abstract in the way that it's supposed to be art. Because, I mean, if you look at some of these shots in this movie... It is gorgeous. It is a gorgeous film. And the music is just gorgeous. But and and see the reason I hesitate to say that it's it's definitely in my opinion it's definitely more art because I mean Stanley Kubrick never never revealed like what what specifically it all meant. He has left it open to interpretation for half a century. I mean that movie came out in in 69. He died in the late 90s. So I mean, he never talked about it. He never talked about what it all meant, and and you have Arthur C. Clarke who wrote the novel with with Kubrick. Who uh, I think he's been a little bit more open on what it all meant, but I think he's probably relatively been rather rather closed mouth like Kubrick. But see, um, it's just so interesting to me the way the movie looks, and that's probably my favorite part about it. Is it's got such a unique look, and at the time when these movie when that movie came out. It was just so weird. I mean, it was so ahead of its time in terms of, uh, like, sci-fi films. And it really, um, it was a landmark. I mean, it paved the way for sci-fi films. But we're not here to talk about 2001, even though I've done quite a good job of doing so. We are here to talk about 2010, the year we make contact, which is the sequel, which came out in 85, I think. My gosh, this movie Is wildly different. Whereas uh, 2001 was mainly focused on preserving cinema as an art. This film tells a story, and it has riveting characters and an interesting plot. Okay, so if we're looking at it from uh, like when it came out, the 80s, you know, you had a little bit of tension, just a little bit of tension between the United States and the Soviet Union, which, you know. Just a little bit of tension. Uh, So uh, (laughs) the story revolves around, um, so it's nine years after the mission from 2001. And uh, Dr. Haywood Floyd, who had an appearance in 2001, but he was played by a different actor. And in 2010, he's played by Roy Scheider, who was in Jaws, by the way. Uh, He is sent on board a Soviet mission with a couple of Americans to investigate what happened to the Discovery mission, which was from 2001. And uh, they find what what happens is just incredible, and I'm not gonna spoil it, but y'all, when I tell you this movie is gripping from the moment it starts to the moment it ends, it is so, I mean, I, I didn't know it existed. Like, I mean, and I'm very sad to say that because if I had known this existed, this would have probably would have been my favorite movie. I mean, it is just so amazing, and I feel like I'm overhyping it, but I'm really not, because it, I mean, it's, okay, let me just tell you the cast, because if I tell you the cast, you'll be convinced, Roy Scheider, Jaws, John Lithgow, yeah, that John Lithgow, he's young, and a young Helen Mirren, and y'all, she does a Russian accent in this film that is just, I'm, I don't, I, it, it, she might be Russian. I don't know. But, I mean, she really convinced me that she was Russian. But, uh, um, y'all, this movie, man. So they go, and, you know, there's tension between uh, the astronauts, the Russian and the American astronauts on the ship while they're floating in space. And it's ridiculous, though, because they're like Roy Scheider's characters, is like, listen, just because our governments are being, like, against each other doesn't mean we have to be, like, we... We're here on the greater basis of humankind. Like this is not a petty difference between our governments anymore, which is a fun theme that prevails throughout the movie. And I think by the end, you'll see that it's uh, it's all about like uniting the world. You know, like I mean, obviously the the everything dandy themes of world peace and things like that. But uh, yeah, I think that's a major player in the in the film you know uh it's it 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 maintains the themes that 2001 tried to keep in uh in its film uh in a, in it, but it does it in a way that it still has a functioning and and uh de- detailed narrative which is what 2001 lacked now i'm not saying 2001 wasn't detailed it was it's one of the most detailed films of all time but in terms of narrative structure and um like storytelling it's not very detailed and, and that's because it's divided into these four acts, which are just, to me, the first two acts are very convoluted, you know. But then the third act is the most interesting one. And in the fourth act, you're just like, what the heck is happening? <laughs> but, but I like the fourth act, too. But, but in 2010, there's no acts. You know, I mean, you have, it is just, and it's funny. And the only reason I discovered that this film existed is because I was watching Interstellar. And, uh, you know, when you watch a movie on, like, Amazon Prime, it gives you the little tidbits on the side. And it said that uh, Interstellar was inspired by um, 2010. So I was like, what is 2010? That sounds like 2001. And I Googled it. And 2010 is the sequel. And I was like, what? Why didn't I know this existed? I knew there was a book sequel, but I didn't know that there was a movie. And, I mean... Here's the thing. This is not supposed to be like a movie review podcast, although I could talk about movies, I mean, as as long as the day. I mean, I could just, I could ramble on about movies. But see, the most interesting thing about it to me is that uh, at, at, after they finished filming 2001, Stanley Kubrick was like, I don't want anybody using these models for these spaceships, so we're going to have them destroyed. And so they were destroyed. And so when the process came for making... Uh, Two thousand and ten they were like, Well, how are we gonna do it and so they worked when in recreating the discovery um ship they worked solely using pictures of the original they didn't have a model they had to rebuild it completely and y'all it looks amazing in this new movie and uh so so and another thing that I really noted about it was uh you know. <laughs> Old special effects computer effects you know they're not great and they usually they don't hold up and I'm not saying they hold up in 2010 but what I am saying is that they are so like the style of like effects in the film are just beautiful I mean they don't uh, granted they obviously it doesn't look it doesn't all look real but it looks beautiful it is gorgeous even if it doesn't look real like, you have, when you see the ship flying around Jupiter, it's just gorgeous. I mean, the planet is, like, glowing, which I don't know if planets actually glow like that, but it is incredible. And, uh, I mean, the writing, God, the writing just keeps you, I mean, it keeps you just locked in. Like, what is going to happen? What are they talking about? Like, what's going on? And it, and it really, it, it has its moment, you know, 2001 was filled with, like, abstract moments, 2010, it doesn't really have a lot of abstract moments until like you start getting towards the second half of the film, and that's when it starts getting to, it starts getting a little abstract, which is nice. It's a nice change of pace from 2001. Uh, they oh 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 the actor from 2001, David Bowman, the guy who I don't that's not the actor's name, that's the character's name. I forgot the name of the guy who played him, but he returns for 2010. He makes an appearance, a couple appearances. The original voice actor for Hal, the computer in two thousand and one also makes a return, a return, um chilling voice, you know, when he's like, Open the Pod Bay Doors, Hal, and then Hal's like, I'm afraid I can't do that, Dave. Ooh, he gives me chills every time. But uh yeah, man. Two thousand and one to two thousand and ten, great movies. And I'm pretty sure there's a third one, but I haven't seen it. I'm a little scared to watch it. Uh but uh the the acting in the film, two thousand and ten. Roy Scheider I he's a great actor I mean, it's a shame that he died but he just I mean you really rooted for his character the entire time um Helen Mirren like I already commented on Helen Mirren she her accent that she does in this film is just so good and she she's a very good actress I mean I've seen her in a couple of different things and she's very very talented uh and John Lithgow too and you know, I've seen him in like some of his stuff recently, where he's he's a little bit older, and I've never really seen him when he was this young before. But he's it. What's remarkable about John Lithgow is how similar he's remained throughout all of these all of these years. <laughs> Which I'm not not hating on John Lithgow. I, I like some of his movies, but uh, I I really liked him in 2010 because uh, his character is just such a John Lithgow character, in my opinion. You know, you don't ever see him playing like a bad guy. He's always like a pretty decent guy in 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 all of his films. Granted, I I haven't seen all of his films. I've only seen a few of them, you know. But uh, he's he's pretty good in this movie. I um, mean, there are, there are a few. I mean, all the other actors and actresses were excellent as well. I don't know their names, but yeah. I mean, it was just such a good movie, and you can tell that like, because in my opinion, the effects from two thousand and one hold up better than they do than in two thousand and ten. But see. I mean, both of these movies are just gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous, and I really recommend checking them out. So, um, this brings me to the last topic, and I've been thinking about this a lot more because I've been, um, been living in a dorm for the summer, and, uh, you know, <laughs> when you live in a dorm, you don't really have a lot that you can do in terms of cooking. So that usually resorts in me eating out a lot. I eat a lot of fast food. I eat uh, Dose Bros, which I don't know if you guys have ever had Dose Bros, but it is divine. Um, But see, this brings me to the question of, is it cheaper to buy your groceries and cook your own food every day, or is it cheaper to just eat out? And... I mean the answer is I don't know. I, and that's why I kind of an you know, opening this up to be kind of like an open ended question for any any listener that <laughs> that finds it in their time to listen to the podcast. You know, I mean, is it what is the better option here? Because you have people like college students who can't really you know, they don't they can't really cook food like a meal. Like they can't okay, let me rephrase that. I'm not saying fast food is like Appetizing, but I'm saying college students cannot cook a full, well-balanced meal, in my opinion, based on my own experiences. Uh, I mean, they can every once in a while, but to do that every single day is, you know, it gets iffy. And, and yeah, the response is like buying a one of those, like, frozen meals that you put in your freezer. No, I'm not doing that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, uh-uh. No, <laughs> but... Uh, so, I mean, yeah, so, you know, let me know what you think about this. So, I mean, what's the better option here? And I mean, and I'm not limiting it to just college students, like anybody. Is it cheaper to uh, buy groceries like once a week, you know, spend $200 at a grocery store, buy all your fresh ingredients, and then cook food every day? Or is it better to like, you know, go every day and, and buy food? And yes, the answer is very clearly, now that I've stated all this, it's very clearly buy groceries. But, you have certain limitations that you know sometimes might prevent that, but uh, yeah. So you know, let me know what you what you guys think on that because personally, I like eating out. I mean, I, I also love cooking, but see, I'm not I'm not one to cook every single day. Especially if I if, even if I wasn't in college, I wouldn't want to cook every single day. I mean, I just love I love going to eat somewhere that's not my house. It's one of my favorite things to do. So, um, you know, let me know what you think on that. Uh, like I said, reach reach out to me on anything, uh, Instagram. Uh, I might make an Instagram page for this podcast. I don't know yet because uh, my Instagram is private. But, uh, I'm you know, I've got a Snapchat for those of you who know my Snapchat. Uh, I think the preferred way is whenever I upload this onto uh, Facebook under the Sam Asking Media Facebook page, you can just leave a comment there. Or even message me if you want If you'd rather message me, okay, uh, what, you, what your response is? Because if, if I don't respond like in the message, I'll respond to on air on the podcast. So you know. But uh, yeah, so this has been uh, sandwiches episode one. You know, I don't really know what it, what I'm gonna title it yet. I guess we'll <laughs> we'll figure that out. But um, I hope you guys enjoyed. If you even listened, and if you listened this far, I'm very very glad you did. I'm glad you stuck around to hear me talk. Um, And I hope you found my opinions and thoughts uh, worthy of being listened to. Um, But yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. And I hope you have an excellent rest of your day and rest of your week. Oh, oh, another thing. Before I go, I don't know how um, consistent I'm going to be with this, if I'm being completely honest with you guys. I don't think it's going to be weekly. I think I'm going to try to make it weekly, and I'm going to wind up faltering on that. But I will... It will, not, it will not be less than once a month, I promise. <laughs> but, yeah, anyway, guys, um, I hope you enjoyed. Um, have an excellent rest of your day and rest of your week, and I will see you again soon.